Ladies and gentlemen, we're live, we're rolling, we're on the air. Welcome to another episode of The Sidelines. My name is Quartz, I'm your host, here with my other host, my man. That's AP over here, Cordo. How you going, buddy? I'm going well. And we are lucky because we're joined by a very special guest. We finally uh, are going to bring some legitimacy to this podcast. We brought in my good friend, Alex Malcolm. Alex is a sports journalist, broadcaster, commentator, the whole kit and caboodle, elite golfer. But Alex, I'll let you say hello and introduce yourself. I've oh, done a bit of elite golf, of course. Very, very kind of you. Of course, AP, an honour and a privilege. I've listened to a few of the podcasts and they've been sensational so far. I thought Reese was outstanding last week, actually. Fairly solid audition for third member of the band. So I'll try to live up to what he produced. I will probably edit that out because <laughs> I know Reese really well. He does not need any more smoke up his ass. <laughs> I was about to say, I, didn't, I, did, I did not want to uh, encourage read him. <laughs> the WhatsApp after he listened to that moment and then suddenly there's just 4,000 gifts about how he is the man now. Yeah, <laughs> literally tomorrow he'll be telling his mates at work, you know, uh, like professional sports journalists have said that I'm, uh, I'm a great <laughs> podcaster as he's in like a Versace silk robe <laughs> with a coffee mug. Uh, you'll probably buy some sort of like gold-plated microphone, the whole kit and caboodle. But anyway, mate, thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure. We have a, a strange family connection where you're married to my sister's husband's sister. So somewhere along the line, we're kind of family. Yeah, I was wondering how you were going to draw the connection there. Yeah, that, that's about right. Something, Yeah, something along those lines. And he's another WA boy, so I'm shamelessly pushing a Melbourne podcast, but with WA guests. Mm. So in a few weeks, you've managed to get 75% of WA on. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, mate. First and foremost, a lot of people haven't heard this top secret test episode that Aaron and I did. But the very first thing we talked about was Bruce McAvaney and his commentary. I won't talk about this. I'll let AP go on about it. He can sprout his opinions. We'd love to get your take, given you're the only one in the room who is in any way, shape, or form qualified to give a take. <laughs> so, look, the super secret episode is based around, look, Bruce is a bit of an icon, but it's about commentary as a whole and really just where Bruce sort of sits in the landscape. Uh, again, he's sort of starting to feel like he's ruining a bit of the game a little bit. He's taking away these moments. And it's really just feeling like it's the Bruce Football League not the AFL. Like, it, it's just an obscure sort of commentary style he's really starting to bring in. But again, I'm not quite sure you're taking it because you have a different lens, whereas I just watch the football and go, can you shut up? Like, seriously, just let me watch. And this is also off the back of a very um, big Reddit article that got pumped out a little bit where someone went and counted his rhetorical questions uh, per minute, <laughs> <laughs> which is... Um, which everyone always thinks is high, but geez, it was high. And there was a graph in there and I love some graphs and I love some spreadsheets. And he actually did it quite well. He didn't even, he actually didn't really bag out Bruce. It was more just, just, just pointing to some facts. An analysis. Love it. What's your take on him? I read that brilliant piece by Gold Brick. <laughs> what a username. The, uh, <laughs> the, the reputable username on Reddit. Just as an aside note. Um, and aside, I should say, uh, News.com and Herald Sun just opting to rip a piece from Reddit yeah. and republish it. Yeah, we, we, we're also talking about what, what, pla what planet are we on, seriously? Just copy-paste. It's copy-paste time. Unbelievable. Um, look, oh, I've got to be careful about the, the things that I do say about broadcasters. I'm, I'm not currently employed. I've, a bit like Gold Bricked, McAvaney is one of my idols, so I've always wanted to be a broadcaster. Uh, ever since he, I saw him doing the Olympic Games uh, as a kid and calling footy, it's something that I, I've always wanted to do. I haven't um, probably progressed in my career where I would like to be, so I need to be careful while <laughs> I remain hopeful of gaining uh, some work in the industry. I, I get where you're coming from. One of the issues, and I, I was saying this to Court earlier, He's 67. He has been suffering from a version of leukemia for the last couple of years. But I feel like his commentary style has got to a point where it just continually becomes a little bit of a parody of itself. Um, one of the issues with Bruce, and he's actually admitted this, he did a really good 
podcast interview with Peter Donegan, who's also a, a very uh, well-renowned broadcaster, and they've had very similar career paths, actually. And he talked about how he's got some idiosyncrasies that he just can't help when he's on air. But one of the issues is Bruce doesn't actually listen to his own calls, which is quite an astonishing thing for a broadcaster of that experience uh, and at a veteran status that he is, that he doesn't actually listen back to his own calls. And the bizarre thing about broadcasting is that, and commentary is that unlike every other walk of society where if you apply for a job, you'll go through an interview process, probably a second round interview. You might have a psych test. You'll come back for a third round interview. All of that will go through to get to a senior, a senior role, let's yep. say, at your company. None of that happens in TV. None of it. They just get plucked from nowhere. They don't get trained. They get put on air because of their name or they have a connection with a producer and they just let they just let rip and they're allowed to call the game and they don't actually do any performance feedback whatsoever. So that is part of the issue as to why we get the commentary that we get is because there's no quality control and it's only really those that are professional broadcasters who take real pride in their work who will go through what I, I can say from personal experience is a really painful exercise of sitting there literally with your hands over your eyes peering through your fingers going I hope I did a reasonable job on this and actually listening back and learning from the mistakes that you made you could play wrong there you used a description that you used before you used a phrase that didn't quite fit your tone your um your intonation your light and shade didn't work in certain periods that those things aren't done by the callers that you hear on Seven and Fox for the most part. So that's yeah. just like, it's pretty astounding to actually hear that because yeah. you are right. It's probably one of the few things where there is no, I mean, I probably got reviewed four times today. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Inadvertently. I review our friendship weekly. <laughs> but like there is that sort of point, like, you know, and it maybe there's a little bit where you can definitely see people who go through that and they, they look at it and they really peel it back and have a bit of a look at it. And again, I think probably to your point, some of the like the the ex the ex player, which is it more seems like that that's the pluck. That's the this is the name we're sort of going for. Sometimes it works out. Like I remember telling Courtney, um, like Tony Romo in the NFL, he's just oh, I can't remember the the dollars that got attached to his deal, but it was absolutely ridiculous. When he retired to become a commentator. Yeah, so he retired and then he they sort of brought him on um, in the playoffs. Mm. And I'm going to say it's NBC, but I think it could be wrong. CBS. CBS. Um, and they went, oh, wow, like he's really good. And he's sitting there pre-play going, oh, they've lined up three out wide and the running back's on the right-hand side. I'm pretty confident um, this is what they're going to do and this is why they're doing it. This is like four seconds before the snap and they run the play. And the other commentators sort of didn't really know how to handle somebody who is kind of better than the QBs. And then a couple of defensive coordinators actually made a joke where they said what they do is they just actually, they're going to get a mic and just put it into their defensive coordinator and just listen to what Tony says. And then their defensive guys in the field can figure out what the hell's going on. <laughs> But that kind of thing, like I feel like that's very rare where someone's in that just able to pick it up so naturally and just talk what they see. So one of the elements written into the NFL broadcast contracts is that the teams, the coach, the quarterback, and other senior leadership players or a player on any particular line have to meet with the broadcast team for a network game the day before the match. So... In CBS's case, if Romo's doing, let's say he's doing Tampa Bay v, uh, let's say it's New England, on the Friday, they're all in town at the venue, at Tampa Bay's venue, and after team practice, Romo, his co-commentator, which is Jim Nance, who does all of the uh, golf for CBS, and you hear him on the Masters every year, he also does the Final Four for um, the college basketball tournament. They plus the producers, the maybe one of the senior line producers and the director will meet with Brady on the one side and talk through off the record what they're trying to do, game style, certain plans, certain formations, 
And then on the other side, they'll meet with Belichick and it'll be Cam Newton this year, talk through the same stuff. So they've got all that background information. They don't, they're not allowed to tweet it out or break any stories in the lead up to the game, but they can use that information in the game call to present a better product to the fans. But Romo's in a different category because he's an elite quarterback who obviously has an unbelievable catalogue of knowledge about all of the players that he played against and he's able to predict that stuff. And you hear a little bit of that with Ricky Ponting at the moment in the cricket. The football guys, they don't do any of that here in Australia. They don't meet, they don't talk with coaches behind the scenes and you can hear it, it comes through. They they don't know why players come off the ground after they kick a goal. They're still complaining about that. It's like, well, <laughs> you only have to talk to one strength and conditioning coach to work out what the GPS numbers are, why the rotations are happening, why they have to do it at certain times, how they work the rotations. It's, it is very, very surprising that that type of thing isn't mandated into the broadcast contract. So we as fans get a better product. See, I think the American sports commentating as a whole is relatively elite across mm. every single sporting. And yeah. look, a lot of that, like, to be fair, a lot of it probably has to do with the fact that there's competing networks and they want to know that when they've got the Thursday night, Friday night, the playoff game, whatever it is, that the league they're representing knows that they're the best ones. So that, you know, yeah. they're, they're always buying for something. It's like a duty of care almost with the product. Yeah. So there's probably, there's obviously a little bit of that, but they've got so much to compete with attention wise in the States too, where they know if they waver for a little bit, it's, they can lose a complete segment very, very quickly. Yeah. It's also a numbers game. I'll, Saying a court earlier, man, it's only 25 million people here in Australia. Yeah. There's one that I know of that's well regarded professional broadcasting course at a um, post tertiary level in the States. There's 350 million people, so automatically, there's just a huge pool, t- huge talent pool. There's probably 25 universities that run elite broadcasting. Um, degrees or media degrees, you then go into network affiliate that have that are offshoots of major networks in small towns that cover minor league baseball, cover college what college sports, high school sports. You can progress through those ranks. I was saying earlier to court as well, someone like uh, Brian Anderson who who called the Ananobi um, shot on the buzzer for uh, the Raptors when they won against the Celtics. Celtics. Yeah. Um, he he's just recently elevated himself to to national level on TNT as a basketball and baseball play-by-play announcer. He spent 10 years doing minor league baseball before he moved to become Milwaukee Brewers play-by-play caller as a as a club announcer for the club's net, network coverage that goes to the fans in Milwaukee. They've got all sorts of pathways to get through yeah. and they do so many reps. Whereas here, we just throw any old chum on... TV. I mean, some guys on the AFL coverage right now in Australia on both Seven and Fox, their first TV game of football would have been AFL football. Yeah. Would have been an AFL game. So, we, yeah, we're lacking but, that culture where they've done under-18s, they've done VFL for seven correct. years, then been promoted to a boundary rider, done that for a couple of years. Mm. By the time they're in the seat, they've got hours on the tread. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. I mean, I'll give you guys an example. This is one of the funniest things. So it's a little bit of apples and oranges, but you'll love this. You're both probably Doris Burke fans, right? Love Doris. We all love Doris. For those listening, NBA commentator, she's the GOAT. She is the GOAT. Yeah. We all love Doris. Drake loves Doris. Um, so I, I, I noted down, word for word, a, a piece of commentary just to give an example of what she produced and then what one very high-paid AFL Commentator produced. <laughs> something so excited. Right. So this is Doris. It was a Lakers game. Anthony Davis opted to, he had an open shot and he opted to pass it off and, and the bucket was made. Anyway, Doris said, do you think that Coach Vogel would have rather had Anthony Davis shoot that three? He had an open look. He uses the dribble, kind of gets into the mid-range. He decides to move it one more time. But one of the interesting things Frank Vogel said to me earlier in the year is that he thinks that one of the keys to their long-term success is Anthony Davis's ability to space the floor for three consistently. I like the unselfishness of it, but I think I want him taking that shot. So in plain speak, that is 
a commentator who has seen the action, we've seen it unfold, she has then openly asked a question as to why he didn't take the shot, then brought up some knowledge from a conversation she has had with an NBA coach that she's procured on her own about what the game plan is with Davis and why they went through that process to space the floor and then given her opinion as to what she thinks that he, he should be doing. This is an AFL senior, senior veteran <laughs> caller. So it's apples and oranges, right? Some stats rolled up on a screen. The graphic is on the screen and the graphic reads, number nine, Sean Burgoyne, 37 years old, 385 games, 297 goals. The highly paid TV commentator, quote, so Sean Burgoyne to kick his 258th goal. Bang, straight through. Make that 298. So he's, <laughs> he's quoted the wrong goal number. The analyst steps in, talks through the highlight. 30 seconds later, the same commentator, quote, so 298 games for Burgoyne and that was his 298th goal. <laughs> so so not only not only get get this not only did the caller not do his research on the guy who's played more games than anyone else currently in the AFL he didn't read the stats that were on the screen and not only that he's got computer handouts from Champion Data that they're very basic stats that that all of the, they're called call sheets and you've got all the players all 22 on each side that are in front of you really basic stuff number name uh, where they were recruited from, what pick they came with, I think, and then number of career games and career goals. Yeah. He's looked at those sheets in the 30 seconds since making the initial error and misread them. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sums it up. But see, like, I love like that. No, that Doris take is a perfect example where, and that's why I, I don't know, maybe that's part of why I, veered more to the American sport culture where I don't know, like I don't know anything about what Doris just said before Doris said that. Mm. I saw Davis do something and me, the hack who's played a shitload of 2K and watched a bit of basketball goes, oh, all right, fair enough. That's interesting. Yeah. Why did he do that? But there's like, again, she's questioning it, but then she gives her own thoughts on it that aren't necessarily um, in line with a coach. Mm. Because it's like, actually, side note, I actually had Doris written down for another one where it's talking about how they love the cut to the ref, cut to the umpire, um, which is probably my big actual pet hate in the NBA and the NFL. And they always go to him and they sit there and go, oh, what do you think? And the ex-chief uh, who was in the, in the game for 15 years always backs up his guys on the court, never goes against the footage, even if it's blatantly obvious. He's like, nah, you got to make that call. Uh, Doris... Uh, last game was like, because uh, they got, oh, I can't remember, it was must have been Milwaukee, I think. So I went up, anyway, so I went up for a three-pointer. They sort of slid under and she's like, no, I disagree with the call. That is a bad call. You can't make that because he's leaned into the shot and made it. The ex-NBA 15-year ref is like, no, you got, you know, in the time. Like, and she's just like, no, that's not what the rule was designed for. And I'm just like, yeah, get, get him, Doris. Get him. <laughs> but again, she's, She's happy to go against, and again, not just saying Doris is the goat because she is, but a lot of American commentators are happy to just challenge. I mean, some of them go too far, but they're always happy to sort of go against and make a bit of their own call because it's part of their brand too. Well, they've got the command of the English language and the research <laughs> to be able to articulate that. And, and that's, that's the key, right? I mean, it, one of the great frustrations here in Australia is you get told this actually when you first start in television is you've got to pitch to the lowest common denominator. And I fundamentally disagree with that. And there are actually discussions that are had at Fox Footy about pitching their commentary to the quote-unquote Brisbane housewife. This idea that she is the person who knows absolutely nothing about the game and we need to pitch our commentary and our tone at her so that she can be brought in and not feel like she's completely lost in what's going on. I fundamentally disagree with that. 
as you say, I'm a fan of American sports. There's stuff that I, I see that I have no idea what's going on. But when they elevate it to a really granular level and give you the detail of what's been happening, suddenly you're interested. You are really drawn in by what that is. And a really good example, I mean, my mother-in-law knows nothing about cricket. I sat down with her <laughs> I sat down with a, a couple of years ago and uh, we were watching a Big Bash game and Ponting was commentating and he started to give some detail on certain things and my mother-in-law started getting interested and she started to ask really detailed questions that you wouldn't normally get from someone who doesn't know anything about cricket. But because she's a, an intelligent woman and she comes at things from a different angle, she was able to pick apart certain things and started to make sense of what she was seeing. And it only came about because Ricky had elevated the conversation. It was the only reason why she actually showed any interest. And I just think here in Australia, we, we should really ask for better. The problem is how do we, how do we demand better? Because the audience numbers are high and the networks would just say, look, they're watching us and yeah, we don't really need to do anything. Is that because we're a victim where Aussies are creatures of habit too? I use the footy show as an example. Yeah. Creatures, only creatures of habit could have kept that product alive for so long. That featured no game footage of the very thing the show was about. So you're not even watching a clip of highlights while they talk about a score. They're just talking. You're basically watching a radio show being filmed. That <laughs> lasted, what, 20, 30 years? And it's made multimillionaires out of many people that were on the show. And they are still the most prominent voices in the AFL industry, both as club presidents and uh, SEN radio hosts and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just the way society's dumbing down everything. And unfortunately, products like that just sometimes fall into the heap. We put reality TV stars to host television shows or we give people morning radio breakfast hosting gigs if they've, you know, become famous for getting like felt up by some trash can bloke on a beach on a reality TV show. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the girl that uh, had her stuff uh, grabbed uh, while having that uh, cocktail and then called him like an F-wit, right? Yeah, that's her. Yeah, sign her up. She'd be great. <laughs> it feels like that's the conversation. But you're right. Like, it's, it'd be very hard. Like, it's going to be hard to sort of shift the tide. But again... Maybe it's like I always got told, for example, golf. If you're the worst golfer in the group, that's where you want to be because you're just going to elevate. You don't want to be down the bottom. So maybe that's what the commentators at some point will sort of go along. But like someone will hire a jet and then it forces everybody else to go back to the drawing board and it's kind of like get on the truck or fall off. I think that's what has to happen. I don't yeah. think there's any other way unless, unless you get mass protest. And this is the thing. This is the thing with, uh, print coverage, right? So a lot of your mates would read certain articles on the AFL and you get frustrated by the, the level of coverage of certain things. <laughs> the only way you can avoid that stuff being covered and avoid those articles being written is not clicking on them. That's the only way. If you actually want to affect change, you and everybody else who is an AFL fan who despises the clickbait stuff, you have to not click on it because all of the measurables from the news outlets side of things is how many eyeballs were on it. Yeah. I fall for it all the time. I won't use his name. He knows I'm talking about him. A certain failed Port Adelaide tagger who tried to become a fireman. I take the bait every week and click on whatever dumb thing he has said this week or whatever absurd Nat Fife's overrated. I click on it. I read the article. <laughs> You haven't convinced me in any way, shape, or form that he's overrated un other than one single clip where a bloke ran past him and kicked a goal and he couldn't quite tackle him. I take it every week. Anyway, we could talk about this till the cows come home. Um, I want to move on because otherwise we're using up... Uh... You can go, go for your life on this stuff. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. One thing I will say about... I mean, commentary is not as easy as people think it is and if anyone yeah, yeah I'm, on, I'm deadly serious if, if it's worth trying out yourself at home like seriously if, if you if you think if you're frustrated by what you're seeing just have a crack at it get your iphone out do a little bit of research ahead of a game you'll probably need no one around because you wouldn't want anyone to hear it for the first time but 
put the sound on so you can match the sound up with the um, with your own call, and then just call a quarter, and then go back and watch it. Mm. It, it it's frightening to listen to your own voice and and to listen to and then just match it up and just listen to it, thinking, okay, what would this sound like if this was actually on the broadcast? Uh, and your views may temper a little bit on on how good or how bad certain broadcasters are, but we, <laughs> yeah, it there certainly could be a much higher standard across the board. I think mine would be discipline. Uh, like I think I could sit there and commentate the game, but I would the discipline piece would get me without fail. Someone with a bad haircut would come on, and I'd end, I'd take go and he kicks a goal. Look at that haircut! You just know he's a flog. There is a lucky girl somewhere at home that can't wait for that mess to come back. Like I'd fall for that trap. Like, wait, let's was, re- let's rebrun the tape. Let's go back to him. I got more to say about him. Yeah, like that kind of dude. You know, I heard a story that he once uh, got naked, ran through a kebab shop, and uh, knocked over a bloke in a wheelchair. But anyway, that was not a bad handball. I'll fall for that trap, hands down. Um, on the topic of commentating, though. I had this flagged here as a question. I wanted to ask this. Alex, if you feel free answering first, you can look at me if you're not. What is something that isn't commentated in the world today that you would genuinely sit and watch people commentate, even if it was just for five minutes? I would love to know that. I couldn't, I honestly couldn't think of anything. Um, I've got a funny story though. I got, I got hit up on LinkedIn by a guy from Star Sports in India. Yeah. And he wanted me to come over and call pro Kabaddi. Have What's you that? seen Kabaddi? No. You seen the Kabaddi world? It's like so. Look it up after we're done with this. It is. It. It's been on. It's been on Fox definitely. The Indians are the best in the world at it. It's like a. It's a hybrid between British Bulldog and Tag, <laughs> and dodgeball. Except there's no ball. And some of the rules. <laughs> some of the rules are outside. There's like five guys on a side, and you, you're each in your half. And they create a chain, and then one guy's got to go solo and get to the other side, tag a bloke, and get back without being tackled. It's phenomenal. It's it's unreal. Sounds and the, like the greatest sport of all time. <laughs> <laughs> you, you should definitely have a look at it. But this guy hit me up on LinkedIn and said, "Do you want to fly over?" And and uh, they were obviously short. They maybe needed some English guys, or they were trying to send it global. So maybe they needed a, a, an Anglo sort of presence. I thought this is bizarre. And he went through the details. He, he he sent me dates and times and how long I'd need to be in India for and what the money would be worth. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Anyway, I had to think about it. I sent a message to one of my friends who was a, who's been a bit of a mentor in the, in the industry. He's a former producer. He doesn't work in it anymore. And then I found a, a LinkedIn connection uh, with another guy who's a, an ex-international uh, hockey player and, and who's a mate of mine. I said, you know, this bloke, you've worked with him in, in India on the, on the hockey leagues. He goes, yeah, they don't pay. They'll, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Pro Kabaddi, have a look at it. It is, it's weird and phenomenal. Would the expectation on you have been to sort of then come up with sort of like westernized nicknames I for players not. that don't have the nicknames? Well, like. if you if you watch the coverage, the coverage is really like it was good. Schmierkin had a huge audience. It, I mean, yeah. India's India's India, right? But yeah, that that was weird. Um, but I can't think of anything. I don't know. Look, I can't think of any other sport because, to yeah. be fair, every single sport is commentated. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm talking about life. Like, it could be anything in life. No. I think at the moment what would be funny if you had commentators commentating on politicians talking about stuff. <laughs> because I actually think that would be funny. But they've got to be real like... He balls that up there, Jug. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like real objective. You know, yeah. not, not one political party or the other, but just real like... <sighs> Ooh, he's going in hard there. Yeah. Real hard in the paint. Can't be going down doing that. Look at that, Tom. The nation already wanted to sucker punch him and he's done himself no favours with that comment. Yeah, like that kind of stuff. I'd want Roy and HG doing Victoria's cabinet meetings at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be outstanding. Just their nicknames for Dan Andrews yeah, and Brett yeah, Sutton alone yeah, would be yeah. priceless. It sort of feels like something that Dave Chappelle did in a skit of his when they ha- he was doing all these like random sports and events and he just had himself commentating them um <laughs> like illegal dice and all this sort of stuff but even just people getting to work just you know people on the tram whenever they go back to doing that just yeah just obscure just you know we've got a hundred channels on tv just make one of them uh you know satellite camera in the cbd with commentary yeah espn the ocho 
Yeah. That's that's what you want. Cotton McKnight and Pepper Brooks. <laughs> they they were as good as anything. Any any broadcaster anywhere in the world would wish they could be as good as those two on dodgeball. They were brilliant. <laughs> Is that Patrick Bateman? Uh, Jason Bateman. Jason and, Bateman, sorry. But yeah. Gary Cole, the intro to that, I don't know, you might be able to play it in post-production, but the intro to that where he's talking about Las Vegas, it's home to the, what does he say? It's like, home to a home to an event bigger than the World Cup, the World Series, and World War II combined. <laughs> <laughs> the hyperbole like in those things is so good. Mine would be like Tinder date, but commentary where, so you're not watching it live because it'd be way better in post-edit, where you've got like the mobile phone feeds and screens of people that are chatting and where they have the data on what the person actually is. So they have the person's like real weight, real height, real job, real likes and dislikes, real behavioral traits. So you got the commentator going like, Johnny's going in here. He's saying he's six foot three, more like five foot five, 123 kilos. He ain't 80 kilos. Athletic? No, not really. Like, And then you get to see the live vision of their faces when they meet each other. That's what I'd want to see commentated. I'm confident. Didn't they steal half of that for a dating show? Oh, probably. I don't watch TV, so I'm, <laughs> I was going to say I, I can't really bang that, that up. Exist. Yeah, <laughs> That's there is a there is a guy on the internet. Uh, you on Twitter? Yes. Have you looked up Frank Caliendo? No, but I will. I like right. his name. Yeah. So Frank Caliendo, he's like, uh, who's a good? Who was the guy who did all the impersonations here? He actually ran into. Didn't he disappear? The that, guy who did the Sam Newman and Bruce McAvaney impersonations. Yeah, yeah, he's okay, I think. But yeah. anyway, there's a guy like that in the states. He does all the impersonations of a lot of the. He, he's a comedian, but he does like dead set impersonations of Belichick and um, a few of the ESPN guys, like oh, John Gruden. He does a really good John Gruden. Um, he's been getting these random videos off the internet and dubbing calls using his impersonations. Have you seen those I with have. Pat Summerall and John Madden? Like they people are going across group. streets and stuff yeah, like yeah. who's going to get across the street yeah. first before some the guy red getting hit yeah. by a car on the side of the road. <laughs> yeah. Is he is he the guy who did the um uh the two guys in a park kicking the soccer ball around? Potentially. Yeah. Maybe maybe Cordo cuz I don't know how to do the stuff of the things. They're um, post edit. In post, you can put this on our Instagram where I'll send you the link and then you can do the stuff and put it on our Instagram page. I'll put it up. There's two blokes and they're kicking a soccer around the park and he's like, oh, can't be doing that. He's lost it. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, All right. Okay. Now, while we've got a, a sports wizard in the house. <laughs> uh, use that term loosely. <laughs> um, AP, I'll let you talk about this because it's something you wanted to bring up with Alex. Okay, so again, I've noticed it a few times in the past that we get these adjectives around a player. You know, a player gets a certain myth about them, whether it be in my instance of my lackluster playing career. He doesn't really look too fast. He's pretty slow. He does sometimes a few good things. But once you have the name for yourself, that's it. In a more positive light, I like to probably talk about how it never seems like if you if you do one clutch thing in NBA or NFL or AFL, suddenly you're clutch. That's it. You could then go on to miss 35 different set shots at various times throughout a match, which would all impact how you win, but you did that one thing and then you're clutch. Again, I was going to talk, I was mentioning the courts like Penderbury. You know, he's got this mantra about being this slow mover, like he's, you know, he, he slows down time and he always is, he knows the right thing to do. I don't know what his efficiency rate is, but it's definitely not 100%. So, like, I, I agree he's definitely a good mover. But, again, we're never going to not call him this elite ball user. So, he's going to pick your brain about what you think about it is and when, does someone, when, do you, when do you get to throw that gene upon them that they are then clutch uh, specifically? Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's the lack of data, real data. Yeah. We live in a world where you can espouse an opinion and pass it as fact. (laughs) (laughs) And no one checks it. Yeah. I was thinking about this today. I think there was a clip earlier in the year. Dustin Martin had a a kick in general play. It was hard against the boundary line on the left wing going forward. 
Instead of using his left foot, he went with the outside of his right with a drop punt to hit a target in the corridor. It was a remarkably good kick. It opened up the other side of the ground. They ended up getting a score from it. I think they kicked the goal from it. And Gary Lyon just espoused how great this kick was and then went on to say in the same sentence that Dustin Martin is the best kick in the AFL. They just point blank. No one, no one disagreed. None of his co-commentators are like, yeah, yeah, he's just the best kick in the AFL. So I went and looked up his disposal efficiency rating. He's 20th at Richmond. <laughs> <laughs> he goes at 66%. Jaden Short's their best. The most efficient ball user in the comp is Shannon Hearn, which is no real surprise. But I was thinking yeah. about, if you're thinking it through logically, who is the best kick in the AFL, it would be a player who could use his left foot in that scenario and use it effectively, as opposed to kicking off the outside of his right, which is the high-risk, low-percentage play. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's a lack of actual data um, and a lack of research and a lack of real common sense in terms of how we analyse things and how we think about things. There's a good example. You're a golf fan. Um Justin Thomas chipped in during the Tour Championship this week. Anyway, I'm a golf nut. So he, Justin Thomas is one of the best. I don't know where he's ranked at the moment. He's in the top five in the world. Um, and he chips in a lot. He's got a really good short game. And I think one of the commentators said, oh, he's, he's one of the best chippers in the world. And someone on Twitter posted, I don't know the exact stats, but he must chip in more than any other player on the PGA Tour year in, year out. And then one of the data guys who job it is to cover golf actually posted a full spreadsheet of <laughs> chipping percentages from inside off the green inside 30 yards or something and he was ranked 138 <laughs> do you also feel like i'm a i'm a i love stats so yeah you're I, the excel spreadsheet yeah. guy in this game i'm the graphics guy <laughs> uh so again Data can be manipulated because yes. you could start, sit there and say, oh, this guy's the best. You know, he's the best. He chips in all the time. Best short game of all time. Same time, he'd be like, well, if he was, any, if he was actually the best golfer in the world, he wouldn't be chipping so much. Correct. <laughs> yeah. And again, I'll, I mean, American sports and golf, golf's a bit of an exception, but American sports are very ridiculous with their data sets. Mm. They could be like, oh, did you know that Cordo, every time he gets a hockey puck at the 34th minute mark of the second period, uh, he's more likely to score than any other time. And you're like, okay, that's great. How many times has he had it? Oh, he's had it four times, Yeah, but he scored three times. That's like 75%. Well, the real data would be in the first four minutes, very dangerous in the last <laughs> hockey game. The last two periods, not a threat. Wheezing throughout the book. Um, I'll, I'll give another great example on footy. Mick Malthouse, very successful coach, potentially losing it just a little bit as he gets on in years. Remember a few weeks back, or it was earlier in the season, he had a crack at Nat Five. Now, look, I'm a Frio nut, so I don't care. I'm going to shamelessly push my purple agenda here when I can. He had a crack at Nat Five and said, compared to Dangerfield and Martin, his disposal's garbage and he doesn't kick enough goals for my liking. He's, he's not dangerous. I've literally, it took me 47 seconds to go onto the AFL website and see Martin's disposal efficiency was 51%, Dangerfield's was 42%. For the season, this is like round six or seven, Fife was 78% and Fife had kicked five or six more goals than both of them. Like, and I sat there going, that's insane. Like you just sprouted that and a simple Google shows that it's complete nonsense and dribble. Love it. And like for me, like NBA, it's like, you know, LeBron or Jordan is clutch. Like they're clutch because they always make these baskets. They're never going to be 100%. Like factually, they're just... Well, they're not. They're, they they're miss not. more than they make. But then it's just like, but theoretically, I'm more clutch than LeBron in the NBA final minute of a game because I've taken zero shots. <laughs> so again, some other NBA players who might have only taken one or two. That's a reach. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm get, maybe we'll edit that one out. Um, but again, there's like a weird thing where... Certain NBA players, for whatever reason, they could be very good in that last minute, but they don't get the ball as many as some other people. So again, it's more just this flavor band. You know, suddenly this these titles get bestowed upon people. It's just in your experience, when does that happen? And then, have you ever seen it taken away? Uh, I can't think of it ever being taken away. 
it it just gets bestowed upon people when someone with perceived authority on the subject decides that someone else is clutch and then it just gets reverberated around the echo chamber. Oh, yeah. Shane Warne says Marcus Stornis is an outstanding number three for Australia in white ball cricket. So he must be batting at number three when we're leaving Steve Smith out of the equation. Like, you know, it, it's things like that that they just pick up steam and they, and it's no different to anything in life. We, this life's a big game of Chinese whispers, right? And things just bounce around and, yeah, it it always comes back to sort of a bit of hard data and a bit of evidence and a bit of common sense. Has anyone actually you know, looked into this? Have we have we thought about this? Have we actually looked into the numbers and why are we deciding such and such is clutch if you know the numbers don't suggest that? But I mean, that, yeah, but but that would that would require actual research, which <laughs> not many people are prepared to put in. Well, proof in the pudding is that Shane Warne now has a fragrance at Chemist Warehouse, which I know we keep going on about. But there's an example of the data just being seemingly thrown out the window, and someone going, "You know what? He's just the right person to make a fragrance of." Someone on social media did note it's his debut fragrance, which suggests there's more to come. <laughs> I would really enjoy if they did start every sport podcast apologizing for uh, declarations made in the previous podcast. <laughs> that, that would <laughs> be humorous. It always just reminds me of uh, you know, the Simpsons episode when they they, uh, they blame Homer for a sexual assault with the Venus gummy bear. And they're like, we've made some wrong calls in the past. We'd like to apologize to these people. <laughs> just a big thing. <laughs> the names go so fast you don't even know who it was. Yeah. <laughs> Just, just that at the start of every, uh, every broadcast. Uh, we made a few wrong calls. Uh, here you go. Just, just scroll through. Have you ever made any howlers? Uh, oh, I'm sure I've made plenty of mistakes. I mean, you could find a lot of my stuff on YouTube, and I'm sure there's errors in it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, calling oh, not not just mistakes on stats. Sometimes you can misread stuff. I mean, I, I prepared really thoroughly just as a, as a in a case of paranoia just in case something happens that that you never you're never quite sure is going to happen but uh yeah, yeah I've made some mistakes uh, race calling's hard so I, I call track and field and sometimes depending on your angle you can go in photo finishes with with a, a particular winner and it's not the one they're the worst your heart sinks but um <laughs> yeah uh, yeah I mean I, I Again, listening to this, um, I referenced this earlier, the podcast with um, Bruce McAvaney and Peter Donegan. Bruce called it an Australian Cup, I reckon. A horse race back in the late 80s. Bone Crusher won in a photo and he got it wrong. Caught it on the line. So, I mean, it, those types of things happen. I've seen Tim Lane make a mistake in a Commonwealth Games of a 10,000 metre. He called the wrong person um, from a different, certain country. It can happen. It mm. can happen to the best of them. Um, yeah, it's it 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 is it is difficult, but the problem is when the really basic errors are made that you can't be making those. Yes, <laughs> Sean Burgoyne. <laughs> yeah, game number. <laughs> yeah, or earlier this year, a, a Richmond player um, wearing number seven was called Dan Butler when he'd been traded. Killed it. That's pretty basic. That one. That's right. I'm a Fremantle fan, so I'm used to. That. That's a great mark by. Tailing demand, like there's the, the <laughs> delay <Yeah>. before. <laughs> yeah, the, the delay. What you can't see in the podcast here is the commentator actually then looks down at the sheet, <laughs> scrolls down the names, 44, Fremantle, demand, Taylor, demand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then go, geez, geez, showing a lot of promise. He's showing a lot of promise. I was saying to Alex before, like the other night I was watching a Freo game and it was Dunstall or Brereton, one of them. And Mitch Crowden's done something. He's like, geez, putting together an amazing season. And I'm like, it's like his third game. (laughs) (laughs) But sure, good stuff. Put on the apology reel. Yeah. All right, so the clutch gene. I can't think of anyone that's had the clutch gene that loses it. Maybe that's the generosity of being called clutch. It's very hard to lose it. You'd have to... 
how many? Well, here's a question: How many? How many times would you have to fail? Let's say game-ending shots in the NBA. How many? If you if you nailed one, you became clutch. And how many would you have to miss for it to be taken away from you? So I look at Damian Lillard as a perfect example. Of that. Literally about to bring that up. He's definitely clutch. But is he? Like this is the thing. Like I, because I looked at what he did against the Lakers, and he just disappeared. Right. Yeah, but he shot. That ball over Paul George, and I hate <laughs> Paul George. So, <laughs> but that's it. In a society that's increasingly about little highlight moments to then shape a narrative, a guy like Damian Lillard elevated himself through some post match chat and games to being like this godly, untouchable dude. A week later, bounced out of the finals, left his team early on a plane instead of sitting on the sidelines <laughs> and supporting his teammates. I reckon you. I really do think you'd have to at least be maintaining 30 to 50% hit rate. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of some situations because NBA is that weird one too, where if I'm the, if I'm the guy on the court, you just know the defense is just collapsing on you. So again, that's like a weird one too, where you just know it's going to happen. Brady, you could probably say that for the most part he's clutch, but he's always in a great situation. The good example in the NFL might be Eli Manning. Yeah, that Super Bowl game. Two. Yeah, shaped his future forever, that highlight. But recently, with the Giants' struggles and his own struggles, he got uh, benched last year, didn't he? So, you know, he might be the archetypal guy who's once clutch, no longer is clutch. He may be the the fit for that argument. I was once clutch. (laughs) (laughs) No longer faded. I lost the clutch gene. A few injuries, mounted pressure. Away we go. All right. We've got to move on to our segment. Now, Alex, we make all of our guests do this way. All of our guests. I mean, the two guests that we've had. Uh, but Aaron and I have done this too. This is our segment called the Championship Winning Moment. This was inspired by The Last Dance, which Aaron enjoyed. I was obsessed with and watched <laughs> maybe four times. I've <laughs> seen it one and a half at least. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we thought whenever we get people on, we want them to describe to us a fake artificial sports career that they have that begins with an iconic moment and then we follow them on their journey through life and we learn about their doco, how they make their money. Um, for people like myself, I got into a dodgy, I think, Chinese chemical business <laughs> where I was... Dishwashing detergent yeah. or something. Yeah, you... Uh, as Bale AP basically just knocked off Roger Federer's career and was flogging Swiss watches and Mercs and doing Sigafredo pasta ads, I ended up doing dodgy lead-based cleaning products in China. <laughs> so I probably had way more money than you, um, but at some point would have to do sort of a run out on criminal charges and spend the rest of my life hiding in Nanjing or somewhere in China. Anyway, I digress. So, Alex Malcolm. Your championship winning moment. Now, we'll ask you the questions to sort of tease it out. The first thing we'd want to know is, what is a sport that you're playing? Well, I had to think about this. I was actually curious. What sport do you think I would choose? You're a methodical preparer. I know this. You stated it on the podcast. But I know you fairly well, and I could tell that you are. I would say, I would, I guess that you might pick cricket, given your own knowledge of the game you would know what other people have selected. We've had a couple of racing car variations. We've had uh, basketball. can't remember what I did. Tennis. Anyway. Now, you were track and field. Was I? Oh, yeah. I was, <laughs> I was basically Usain Bolt with a dodgy chemical Chinese business post career. <laughs> That's not bad. Uh, yeah, I, I thought you would guess that. Yes. Uh, my answer to that is no, because yes. I, spent, I spent 20 years trying to be the very best cricketer that I could be. And I was so ordinary that I can't create any kind of fantasy (laughs) (laughs) that would suggest uh, that I had a great championship winning moment because all of my nightmares are me getting my front pad blown off. Um, (laughs) No, no, my sport was golf. Nice. I'm a golf nut and yeah, so there's an obvious trail here. Okay, so you're, you're on the golfing course. Set for us to scene on your championship winning moment. Yeah, so it's the Masters. It's my favourite event. I don't know what AP thinks about it, but it's... It's that or 
the British Open only when it's at St Andrews. Yeah, yeah, it's not a bad shout. Yeah, no, it's definitely the Masters. The Masters is number one. It's Adam Scott's my hero, and his Masters win is the single greatest sporting event that I've ever seen. Um, so it would be winning the Masters. Okay. Now, set for me the scene of the day. Were you leading? Like, did you just blow the field away? Was there like a clutch moment at the end that sealed it for you? So I, I pictured this um, this jewel, this 18-hole jewel, a bit like, um, for any golf fans out there, the Henrik Stenson, Phil Mickelson jewel at Troon, where they basically boat raced the field, got out in front and played some of the greatest golf on the final day. Stenson shot 63 and Phil shot 65, and they... Finished, I think they should finish 15 shots in front of the rest of the field. So I pictured something like this where on the Saturday, so, you know, I'm I'm not very good. Journeyman just somehow found my way into the field. Nice. And on the Saturday, Armageddon rolls up (laughs) in Georgia. It's the worst conditions you've ever seen. And I play the greatest round of golf in my life. So shoot, you know, two under 70, which actually in the conditions is like shooting 63 and everyone else goes backwards bar Bryson DeChambeau. Yes. So thick boy. Yes. (laughs) Thick boy is a shot back of me, the clubhouse leader. Yeah. After the third round, everybody else is in the distance. They're six plus back. So it's a two horse race on the final day. Thick boy versus this no name veteran from Australia. So where you're pretty much like you're paying for your own gear. You don't have like a big brand sponsorship. Yeah, exactly right. I've so been a battler for a long time. He's there with like Lance Armstrong's doctor giving him Correct. a jab in the morning to get his <laughs> His whole team. You know, he's got a chew guy. He's got a guy that sprays mist on his practice golf balls to, uh, to sort of mimic the flight of balls with water on them yep. on particular days. He does that. Whereas you've got like Happy Gilmore's ball guy. Like yeah, just yeah, yeah, washing his jocks in the ball machine. Yeah, they wouldn't allow that. They wouldn't allow that bloke. They wouldn't allow that bloke into Augusta. I've got our brother-in-law who knows nothing about golf. He's just a happy-go-lucky bloke. Yeah, he's on the bag. He's there in his volleyball gear. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, Josh, he's just just pumping my tires up and yeah. carrying my bag. That's it. Yeah, and and his only advice is do pretty well, mate. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. That's I'm the, not I'm not bringing him in read putts. He's got no idea what's going on. Yeah, so you're getting elite coaching. Yeah, just some nice like, geez, you hit that hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? That's exactly what he'd say to me. <laughs> just whacked it. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, just straight you, that you disappointed as you're in like the underneath the pine straw and just sitting there going, oh, he's like, you, you smacked that. <laughs> okay, so you and Bryson, you're charging towards the end. Mm. Play out for us how that last sort of hole would play out or something like that. Because I'm assuming score, you're still tied going yeah, into the Yeah, yeah. So it's tight. So I had a shot lead on him. Let's say it's, yeah, we both played okay on the front side. Back on Sunday is where the Masters starts. They set up all the pins so you can start firing at him. And Thick Boy starts just pumping his driver. He's, he's made birdie on 13 and I've had to match him. He's made birdie on 15. I've had to match him. So he's got the honour and I've still got a one-shot lead. He sticks one close on 16, which is a par three and the crowd's going absolutely nuts. And while the crowd noise is still going, I actually tee my ball up and just stick it in there closer. Like stuff like that. And then the last hole, um, yeah, he's hit one close. He's hit one to eight feet for birdie. Yeah. To to force a playoff. So I'm standing over the ball in the fairway, uh, having to really hit a clutch shot. And I end up hitting a flag stick and hitting it to a foot to basically win it. Because anyone who's seen me putt will know I can't hold a 20-footer to win a, <laughs> win a Masters. <laughs> so I need to absolutely stiff it. And I have, and half the crowd's kind of, because Bryson's a bit of a um, a divisive figure. There'd be people there who'd love him, and then he's the purest. And then don't. there's some people who absolutely hate him, many of whom are players. So they're all on my side. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I feel like the Aussies on the golf tour, though, get a lot of get a lot of love. Yeah. Always. I think Aussies generally are good dudes. Mm. Like, our tennis players maybe <laughs> are a little questionable. But generally, Aussie sports people, like Daniel Ricciardo, is beloved mm. in F1 circles. Um, you know, Pat Rafter, beloved. Joe Ingalls, beloved. Like, Utah Jazz people love Joe Ingalls. 
we tend to be pretty laid back, easygoing, non-offensive individuals. So you sink it, you win. How do you celebrate in that moment? What vision are we watching on TV? Just a bloke who's genuinely shocked. <laughs> <laughs> like Stephen Bradbury shocked? Uh like winning the gold, everyone's falling That's peak down. shock. That's peak shock where <laughs> almost looking at the scoreboard shocked. Yeah, You're something just, along those lines. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. Just not quite sure how that happened, how we got here. Yeah. Be bit- it, it'll be processed at some point after a thousand years. <laughs> It'd be so weird too because like golf, like it's four days. Yeah. There's a lot of time to think about it. Yeah. Like, well, by that stage too, you would have had like, I don't know what the standard viewership is in Australia for the Masters. You might know like the raw numbers on thousands of people. That uh, roughly big one, Scotty won, that's for sure. I mean, it's huge in the US. It's yeah. enormous. It's huge globally. It's one of the top 10 viewed sports in the world. But by day four, you're on the cover of every paper in Australia because we do love getting on a bandwagon when an yeah. Aussie sports person that we didn't know about is starting <laughs> to make some noise. So it'd be 100%. like the hero we never knew we needed would that's be on the it. front page of the yeah, Herald yeah. Sun. It'd be that type of story. Yeah. yeah, it'd be great. People would get around it. And they'd be like, journeyman golfer Andrew Malcolm is on his own. 100%. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. Okay. So that's that moment. You win. How do you celebrate? Uh, very expensive bottles of red with yeah. my mates. That, that'd be the way to go. So it's a classy celebration. It's well, not like yeah. a bender in Vegas for no, seven days. No, that's not me. That's not me. Just a very quiet celebration. You'd wear the jacket nonstop for the next <laughs> year, yeah. Wherever you went, uh, it that yeah, it'd be it'd be understated, but yeah, very enjoyable nonetheless. I've got some good questions, but I've got to be careful to not just like <laughs> take over and be like, okay, I do this. <laughs> <laughs> On a scale from one to ten, how much, from a commentary perspective? How much would you be wanting them to cut to Adam Scott? Specifically, you know, have you had a chat to him on like the last day? And he's suddenly, you know, they're always going to be around in your corner, but suddenly it's just like, it's cutting to Jim and it's just like, oh yeah, you know, Alex and Adam having great chats, looking on the practice range. They they just know what he's doing. Yeah. Oh, you'd want, you'd want Scotty around. I just want to have. I just want to have Penfold's Grange with Scotty after we won. That'd be the best thing ever. (laughs) Yeah. And then the the key perk for me would be the the great thing about winning the Masters, and this is why for me it's my favourite event. For those who don't know the Masters as a tournament, every year they have a champions dinner on the Tuesday night. Only former champions can go. The champion from the year before gets to set the menu and he gets to have whatever he wants. But it's And they all turn up in their jackets. And you'd love to just go to that and drink with Adam Scott on the balcony there at Augusta yep. every year for the rest of your life. And you'd be sucking back stogies with Angel Cabrera. That'd be quality. Yeah. You know? And you'd just be telling people how you ensured that Bryson DeChambeau didn't need to come to this event ever. It'd be pretty surreal. <laughs> be, Tiger's there Tiger's handing there, you business Jack's cards. There, yeah, Gary Player's there. It'd be phenomenal. Tiger's like, here, if you want some female company later, <laughs> call this number. <laughs> but you'd, just be, you'd be mates with Adam Scott. And how good would that be, Ron? Oh, pick. Okay, so that all wraps up. It's this beautiful moment in time. Australia celebrates you. You become in those like package highlights of Australian sport where, you know, the Bruce McAvaney, Kathy winning gold. Maccabi Diva, all those kind of things. Like you end up in that package of just the classic Australian champion. How do you make your money post-career? Like what's 60-year-old retired Masters winner Alex doing to make cash? Uh, the easiest gig in the world, and that is going back and commentating on it. <laughs> <laughs> right? I had, this, I had this thought that I'd be like, because, it, because it's such a fluke. I'd have this sort of Ian Baker Finch, and he does commentate on the Masters. So Finchy won the 91 British Open, and he was a phenomenal player before he won that. Uh, but then he got the driver yips, and I thought, you know what? I would probably get the driver yips. Like, yeah. Just not be able to find the club face ever again. But you wouldn't tell anybody about it. You wouldn't go searching for it. You go, you know what? I've won the Masters. I could just be like Jerry Seinfeld when he wins that school race. I choose not to run. I choose yeah. not to play golf. <laughs> I just become a I just become an announcer and make a stack 
telling people how they should read putts. Yeah. Yeah. Do you write books? Uh, yeah, you could. Like those kind of my journey. Yeah, yeah. My, I feel like my, you've got one story. In you. You've got one. Every every my golfer's story. got one. In yeah, you. yeah. It'd be what would the title? It'd just be the fluke. That'd be the title. <laughs> yeah, like two thousand and thirty-seven. You are the number one Father's Day gift purchased from yeah. all good bookstores. The fluke. How yeah. I went from an absolute battler to a Masters <laughs> champion to a bloke <laughs> yeah. who lost his swing. Try, okay, so that happens. Mm. What would be the name of the documentary that they make about you? In the future. Uh, yeah, or well, the fluke would be one of them. Oh, I, I was thinking about this. It, it would be more likely, given that you're in, you're in the mix with Bryson and the character that Bryson is, that what's happened is Bryson had commissioned a documentary ahead of time to cover his master's <laughs> title, right? So they've done all of this lead up. And he's blitzed the field on the Saturday in horrendous conditions to be six shots ahead of everyone else. And it's a, a coronation is about to happen. And some no-name hack from Australia is about to mess this up. And suddenly, the documentary maker, after the, after the result, has decided that Bryson's a flog. And then he might just pivot <laughs> and completely reshape the doco. So it's like a... It's like a I don't know, daylight robbery or something. How Bryson's masters was stolen. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's what the doco would be. I reckon. So it was like the first three episodes are about him, and you don't even come into the fourth <laughs> yeah. episode of the six episode yeah, yeah. series. And it's the back nine on Sunday. No one's heard yeah. of me. Yeah, yeah, this 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 no name dude <laughs> from nowhere. On the next episode, <laughs> this guy's coming out of Australia. What's Absolute. happening? Yeah, you can do see you, it now. Do you think the peak bit in the commentary in your doco would be just they cut to Adam Scott and somehow they've paid him enough money and he goes, he's got a swing that I want to have. And for golfers out there, Adam Scott's got the most perfect swing of all time. Do you think that's it? If you oh, could yeah. somehow convince Scotty to just say that into the camera. Absolutely. Yeah, just, uh, yeah. That's lo- you, you'd end your life at that point. <laughs> <laughs> if you heard that. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, if Adam Scott said that about your golf swing, yeah, you'd. Yeah, I'm done. I don't need to be here anymore. It's, we've we've peaked. Yeah, I love it. All right. Monuments. Yes. You've got to have some sort of like piece of memorabilia or monument. I think for Ash, there were like speed bumps or a wheel or something. Uh, we, t- we, stole, we stole some um, bit of tarmac. Yes. And put it in the roundabout for, <laughs> for, roundabout for the local and... hoons to try their burnout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Monuments, like, yeah, I don't know. What, what would the monument be? Are you a statue man, a plaque man, <laughs> a statue man? Yeah. Like, uh, do they erect a copper statue of you at the, your childhood golf course? Yeah, potentially. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe at the school. Maybe at maybe uh, high school. Yeah, outside Craig Oval. Do they rename your school? Uh, the the Oval. Yeah. Uh, I doubt it, but you could always try. Yeah. They, re- they renamed Centre Court at Wimbledon for me. So. <laughs> Did they really? Yeah. <laughs> Casually. That's fantastic. Casually, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I think, yeah, just a, just a, yeah. So it's humble, just humble. A, just an understated statuette. Yeah. <laughs> 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 understated yeah, yeah, statue, understated yeah. statue out there at Craig Oval. It only has uh, 37 LED lights around it, yeah, so you can see yeah, it from exactly the road when wrong. you're driving past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it'd be that, it, and the, the statue would be, it'd have to be that Scotty shot where, you know, he's got his arms out with the jacket on. That's That would be the statue, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. It has to yeah, be. It has to be. It's just, the, that's the greatest thing. Would the artist have, have to have painted the jacket? So that's the only bit of paint on the statue? Uh, no, you just have the Masters logo engraved. That's in, in gold. That's what that would be, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Or about something just at the IAS, just It's just you and Scotty hugging. And it's just like... It's like hugging. Yeah, I could do that. Golf. <laughs> it's just golf. I can and see, that's it. I can see how much you love Adam Scott. I feel like you're pushing the Scotty bromance if you can't, just as hard as... I've been containing my love for Scotty. <laughs> don't, don't worry. The, go, the love is mutual. Yeah, AP's gone hard on oh, him for you. Oh, he's the man. He's just the best there is. <laughs> oh, again, talking about... Not to digress from this thing, but when all the pros on tour, when they ask him who they want their swing to be like, they're like, yeah, Adam Scott. And it's like, just... Anyway. I digress myself, but the man's just a god. All right. That's a pretty good moment. We love that. 
Look forward to a Hale school in Perth erecting a statue of you. Yeah. 27 LED lights minimum surrounding it so we can see it from the highway as we drive past. <laughs> Public holiday in WA maybe. As if they need another one. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Zing, zing. Yeah. As All right. Need another one. Thanks, Alex. Well, that just about wraps it up for us. Um, Alex, thank you very much for coming on, mate. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, boys. It's been a pleasure. Uh, you can find Alex on Twitter. Yeah, I don't use it that much. Um, you have to yeah, now. If, if you, yeah. <laughs> I don't use it that much. I'm actually on Instagram. I've got no posts. I'm on Twitter. Um, and I do have a YouTube channel. So if you want to get on and have a look at how bad I am as a broadcaster, you can go and check that out. We might uh, we might find a little clip and dig it out and yeah, check it on our it. Instagram page and go for it. get a bit of love on it. All right, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to another episode. Uh, you can always find us on thesidelines.com.au or at the Sidelines Media on Instagram. We're now on Twitter, so I'm sliding into people's DMs when I shouldn't under the guise of our corporate Twitter page. Uh, we got a Facebook page that's fizzing along. Thanks, as always, AP. Gordo. Thanks again, mate. Thanks, Great. Alex. Appreciate it. See you later, everybody.